one of the uh, one of the things that I've learned in 67 years is that the hardest job on the planet is being a parent. Uh, and you know, I can really only kind of come from father's perspective because that's what I, I am. And uh, uh, you know, and fathers and mothers are different. They're both very difficult jobs, but they both uh, both hard. But from from a from a father's perspective, uh, you know, I think about this and the night that Jesus was betrayed, and I think one of the reasons that. God reveals himself to us as a father is I don't believe that a mother would be able to give up their child to be sacrificed and nor should they be asked to give up their child to sacrifice. And it's got to be the hardest thing a father could possibly do. And yet God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son be sacrificed that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life and so on the night in which he was betrayed Jesus took bread and he blessed it he broke it gave it to his disciples said this is my body which is broken for you father I thank you that you loved us so much that you would sacrifice your son and that your son loved you so much that he was willing for his body to be broken, his blood to be spilled. What a good, good father you are. Body of Christ, bread of heaven. Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood, which is poured for you. Father, I thank you. There was only one way this could be done, and it was the hardest way for you and your son. But it made a way for us. Blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. God, we uh, just remain here before you. Thank you for your faithful, loving kindness, your benevolence, your steadfast love, and your patience. And we express gratitude to Jesus for his ongoing intercession for our lives that we can continue to work at this and try and get get this kingdom business as right as we can. And we welcome yet again the movement of the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and soften our hearts and liberate our souls and heal us and restore us and sanctify us as only the Holy Spirit can do. We thank you for opportunities to break bread and share offerings and pray and send out and 
all these components that have to do with life in the kingdom. We bless you for it. We acknowledge that the life you have given us has made stuff like this possible. And we appreciate it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> um, I want to express appreciation to Pastor Ronnie for letting my son and I have the opportunity to, uh, the, for the Berry Boys to be able to minister together. I told the first service, we've ministered in lots of places in the same areas, but today's the first day we've ever actually done it together. So this will be our second attempt to make that work. Just give you kind of a context for where we're going. I'm going to share a song that relates to the subject of the day that the Lord gave Jesse and I. Uh, then I'm going to unpack some scripture about how this business about generational connections breaking generational curses works, and then let my son carry it on from there. <clears throat> this song is, uh, oh, let me, let me say this. Fa Father's Day is obviously the theme of the day. This just came up in my spirit in the last 10, 15 minutes. Uh, it's the theme of the day, but it's not scriptural. doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's not scriptural. In fact, Father's Day is every day. So, we're acknowledging on a temporal level how, you know, how fatherhood works. As Pastor was saying, you know, what parenting being such a hard job. So he, he has a much harder job than we do because he's kind of parent all of us. <laughs> uh, this song is autobiographical, and it covers, it, it covers five generations in terms of working out from a place of curse or a place of restriction, a place of unrighteousness, starts with my great-great-grandfather. Did I add too many greats? Yeah, my great-grandfather, thank you. My, no, I didn't. My great-great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, myself, and my son. That's five, isn't it? That's five, yes. And I realized, uh, I said something also in the first service, uh, uh, my grandson is not here yet. Well, he's, he's actually in the room. He's just not hanging out. <laughs> Sister, you're here, aren't you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's actually not about five generations. It's about six generations, which is a long time. The, the cycle of how this stuff uh, happens can be time-consuming, but Holy Ghost isn't concerned about time. Holy Ghost is just concerned about obedience and yieldingness. My great-grandfather was an angry man. He abused his family. He passed along that heritage through the roots of our family tree. His children turned against him. Drove him from his home Never knowing where he ended up Or if he died alone Man. 
tried to live what's right But somewhere in the darkness He fell without a fight He took his sons and his dignity And he climbed up in his truck to break his stream of love
I was making the point a few moments ago about daddy, daddy being our daddy and taking care of all of us, believers, unbelievers alike, because of his grace and his mercy. One of the things that's chief in the Father's heart is reconciliation. And one of the hardest things to do in terms of reconciliation is get connected in such a way that our generations work together, our families work together. Um, So rather than just focus this message on Father's Day, I really felt like the Lord was saying be inclusive. So everyone that has a connection to a generation, uh, grandparents to grandchildren, middle children, adult children to their grandparents and their kids, children to their siblings, um, schoolmates, workmates, relationships in the house. All of those things are connected to reconciliation in one form or another. And one of the things that can happen in terms of generational linkage is independent from being saved, independent from being in the kingdom, independent from second birth, once you're in Christ Jesus, there are still things that can happen that stick us, that get us stuck in a place where we can't move forward. And one of the things that can do that is a curse. Now, I, I understand, I'm not, you know, not going to get into all the pros and cons in terms of the theology of this. For one reason, we don't have time. But uh, as Brad was saying earlier, just give me, grant me a little grace. Let me just work this just a little bit, okay? Curses can be resident in such a way that there's some action we need to take. In fact, what Brad was saying about the whole business about the offertory, using that passage from Malachi, he's saying God is saying he will do stuff for us, but he doesn't say he will do everything for us. Christ Jesus' blood covers our sin. He grants us redemption through his salvation. That doesn't mean all we do is coast till we get to heaven. So there's an aspect of liability that falls on our lives. I want to show you from Scripture how this works, but the Scripture that, uh, if you'd put up that first slide, the Scripture doesn't mention curses. But the implication of curses being there comes forth because the psalmist wrote this and the psalmist is already in the kingdom. So the psalmist, in a, in a sense, is clear. In a sense, he's clean. In a sense, he's upright. And what he says in Scripture is, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute inequity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Next slide, please. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah, pause and ponder. (laughs) I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Now, could you put up the the slide? There's three components in that that start with the psalmist saying he's blessed. He's living a blessed life. And he says the way that happened in his life is there were three barriers or three hurdles or three places where he could get stuck that he had to work through. And the first one was transgression. Transgression is a revolt, a national revolt, moral or religious. It's rebellion. It's, I'm not going where you want me to go. It could be related to a national government. Boy, I don't want to go there. 
but that's what transgression is. Well, actually, I will go there. Tra tra transgression is a compromise or a violation of those that are over us in matters of either national leadership, moral ethics, social mores, or religious dynamics, religious relationships, okay? It's basically going, I'm going to be insubordinate. I'm not going to do what I'm being requested to do. It's the action, it's complete opposite of humility. There's no yielding in it. And the psalmist said, I had a transgression issue. Don't shut me down, we're not through yet. <clears throat> the second thing that he addresses is sin. And we know generically what sin is. It's a falling, it's a missing the mark. It's an offense. It's a guilt issue. And sin can happen in lots of different ways in lots of different situations, but how we handle sin I'm going back to what Brad said. How we handle sin is not just to chalk up the blood covering of Christ Jesus over our lives. There's an aspect of accountability. Jesse, I'm not going to steal your thunder. In Psalm 51, he'll, he'll, I'm not, I promise I won't, son. In, in, in Psalm 51, David takes ownership of his sin. He takes some steps to handle what is already effectively under the blood, if you can think that in an Old Testament sense. I don't want to confuse everybody. Uh, third, iniquity. Iniquity is perversity. It's evil. It's mischief, mis mischievousness. It's things are ordered in such a way, and I'm not content with them, so I'm going to bend them. If you will, I'm going to bend them to my will. I'm going to change this. I'm going to be insubordinate like transgression, except I'm going to take steps to alter how I think this should work. Can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus? See, there's a, there's a dynamic in us and our fallenness, even though redemption take, touches our lives, where the, those, those cursed demons can raise their head. And there's steps that we need to take scripturally to be able to get to a place of not only being clean, but being clean with one another, and not only clean with one another, but united with one another because Father is concerned about reconciliation. And the church is the only living model on the planet that can model how to function together. So if we're not functioning together, I don't mean in lockstep with everything the senior pastor says. That's not, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about. If we can't unify in our relationships with one another, we can't model how the kingdom's supposed to work, and those outside the kingdom don't have a clue how to get united. Do you under, They don't have a clue. And when we act like we don't have a clue, we're all in the mess that we're in, saved or not. So this is really about what we need to do in terms of ownership. Now, would you go back to the second slide of the, yes. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions, plural, <laughs> to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. Acknowledgement of sin, not hiding iniquity, and confessing transgressions. Now, what the Holy Spirit put on my heart is not let's necessarily flood the altar when, when my son finishes and when pastor comes up. The point is this. You can have unfinished business and still be a born-again believer. If that wasn't the case, then confession and repentance, New Testament, would be useless. 
There would be no point in dealing with things that are already covered if they didn't need to be redealt with. And we're doing a poor job of that. To the degree that we're unified together and as clean as we can handle in humility with one another, the Holy Spirit will move in such a way that the unity that we purpose together and show the world will have a bearing on the unredeemed. See, let the redeemed, watch, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, if I, if I push that as a worship pastor, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You're all going to go hallelujah or so, depending on how you understand that passage. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. Saying so is not necessarily enough. Sometimes it takes an extra step. Sometimes we're actually called to bathe in the river seven times rather than one. So rather than burn any more of my son's time, I will ask my son to come see if you can gather up from here. Boy, you want this yeah, yeah. Did they clap when I came up? <laughs> I am Jesse Aaron, son of Richard Wayne, son of William Lee. <laughs> Why does my sister have to sit right in the front? I'll go over here. Son of William Lee, son of Rufus Henry, son of John Ward. These are the men that were uh, included in the song that my father started off with. There's a quote that says, you cannot know where you're going until you know where you come from. That was originally from James Baldwin, that quote. And although it's not explicitly said in scripture, I do believe that there is truth in that. Now, when we look at the gospel of Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, we see 42 generations listed. And at the end of those, we see the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? You know, when I read through Chronicles and you see so-and-so begat so-and-so and all these things, I think it's easy to, to just cruise through that or skip it or whatever. But I do believe that it is very important. We see a list of unique a, a diverse list of unique individuals who are messed up and, uh, you know, full of mistakes and, and have a spotty or sketchy past. But yet those are the people that God chose to bring Jesus into this world. I think there's a lot of meaning, meaningfulness to that. So it starts out by listing two particular names, Abraham and David. Now, these are two individuals who are referred to throughout the Bible as uh, Apostle Paul refers to Abraham as our father of faith. You also see Jesus himself being called the son of David. You know, so when somebody is acknowledging your ancestry or who you came from, I believe there's some significance behind that. And although the death of Jesus was needed to bring about reconciliation, I believe that his life here on earth in the flesh was to be used as an example for us to live by. So the truth of the matter is that Jesus in the flesh 
you know, he was conceived by the Spirit. He was born to the Virgin Mary. So that qualified, in a sense, or made him eligible to be a son. He was, in fact, a son, a, a living and breathing, and someone that walked upon this earth. But he never was a father. He never got married. He never had children. So when I connect the dots back to how Matthew 1 begins, and it's talking about the genealogy of Jesus, and it goes on to mention Abraham and David, that gives me some type of direction to say, okay, what did these two men possess? What was significant about their life that qualified them to be included among this group? Not only to be included, but to be singled out. So when we look at Abraham, I believe that there's two things about Abraham that stand out more than the others. His life was a life of faith, and he also led and walked an obedient life before the Lord. Now, there were several instances in which he was called upon to, to be obedient and exercise his faith. The first of which really was when God called him out of his father's homeland, out of Ur. You know, his father was involved in ancestral worship, uh, and that's what he was born into when Pastor Wayne was talking about generational curses. These are things that, you know, he, he, he had no say-so in that. That was a family he was born into. But yet when God appeared to him and said, leave this land and go to the land I, was, I will show you, he was obedient. He put his faith into practice, and he, he went where the Lord led him. Further on down the road where, where God made a promise to him about having a son. It tells us in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that he believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed that although he had made the mistake in, in thinking that he could provide for his own and, and conceive a son through his, his maidservant and have Ishmael, he, that, wasn't the, the, that wasn't the plan that God had. So he believed God when he said that you will have a son and your offspring will not be counted, you know, all these blessings. And he struck a covenant with him. And in that covenant, there was another instance in which the Lord says, the conditions of this is to circumcise your son, circumcise yourself, circumcise everyone in your camp. And it tells us that even at the age of 99 years old, that that very same day, he took his faith and he was obedient to the Lord and he went and he did exactly what he was said, said to do or told to do. These things are very important. I think that his life is one, like I said, of faith and obedience. And he modeled that. And I think that these are significant for our lives as well. The book of James in chapter two, it says faith by itself is if it is not accompanied by action is dead. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. Verse 20, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. So to the second individual that I referred to from Matthew 1, David. David was also a very uh, pivotal character throughout the Old Testament. And you see time and time again, even in the New Testament, that when an angel appears or, or somebody of significance, such as Christ Jesus, 
being called the son of David, that tells me that his life was one that is noteworthy. Now, two things that David's life was kind of modeled by, or, you know, that was his foundation, was worship and repentance. We see David as a young boy uh, being recognized for his harp playing skills. When King Saul was having the bad dreams in, in the book of 1 Samuel, when he was having the bad dreams, they said, who can, who can bring some peace? Who can, you know, put his mind at ease? Well, David was known to not only play the harp, but he was known to be uh, to have favor from the Lord. He was known to carry his presence. So at that time, he was commissioned to be a servant to Saul. And you see that he lived a life that was full of worship. He truly worshiped the Lord in spirit and in truth. Later on, he would even be recognized for his, um, let's say, his undignified dance. That's what the onlookers would call it. He actually... As the ark was being brought back to Jerusalem, he chose to worship before it. He chose to even disrobe himself and to worship the Lord because of what was taking place. Now, I believe that the Lord was very pleased at that, even though some of the onlookers weren't. He chose to exercise his worship despite what was going on around him. He chose to offer up worship to the Lord. We do know that he did stumble along the way. And the other point that I mentioned about the life of David was repentance. You know, the, the most well-known story probably uh, would be about his affair with a married woman, and it resulted in her husband's death. And also he conceived a son, which if you didn't know, he actually lost that son. Uh, but out of that was birthed Psalm 51, which Pastor Wayne mentioned. Psalm 51 is truly a psalm of repentance. He, he truly was brokenhearted, and he wanted to get back to that place of worship. And if you know the story, even after the death of his son, he chose to worship the Lord. He picked himself up, he dried himself off, washed his face, got something to eat, and worshiped God. I think these things are very, very pivotal for us to put into place in our own lives. For me, as an individual and an expecting father, this day is very important to me and very significant. And so as I was preparing, often God shares things with you that I think it allows you to check yourself and become more introspective. And I realize that these are four things that are crucial for me to pass on to my son. And I think that I was encouraged as I was preparing through this because it showed me the humanity within Abraham and David. These were human beings. These were men who made mistakes. These were men who committed sins. But yet how they responded to the Lord, it brought him glory. It glorified him. And he was able to restore things. He was able to use them in the lives of others. And so that was a big encouragement to you, to me, and I hope it is to you as well. The characteristics that they had their faith and their obedience and their worship and their repentance. I think those are things that we all need to have. Pastor Wayne mentioned inclusive. These are not just for fathers. I think that we all need to be practicing these things, that we all need to be modeling them, and that we need to pass them on to our children as well. It is crucial. Of the many things that my father taught me, two things from a young age, as a young boy, I remember 
He told me to never quit a job until I had another job. The other thing was to never buy a new car off the lot. <laughs> Those are the two things that really stood out to me. Now, <laughs> if you bought a new car off the lot, glory be to God, he provided one for you. But his father was a used car salesman at one point. So he had some insight to say, even if you buy a car off the lot, it's going to depreciate immediately. You know, this is wisdom that comes with years, but he, he gained this wisdom through his father. Now, why am I sharing this? Because these two things that we laugh about are meaningful to me. But more meaningful than those things, these worldly things, are the spiritual things that my father has passed on to me. And he has modeled a life of faith, a life of obedience, a life of worship, and a life of repentance. And those are the things that you can't buy, you can't earn them, you can't, you can't manipulate God into giving you. No, you, you just have to do it. When he was speaking about the church and what is taking place within the church and our communities and stuff like that, I, I can't help but to go on further than that and say, what is the world going to look like a decade from now or 20 years from now or a generation from now? The impact that we have today and in the days to come is so significant for our children and our children's children. I think a lot of times they understood that within the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. They, they understood that what they were doing on a daily basis was greater than them. I hope that my life can be one that puts my son in a position to take it to the next level. The impact that he has on his children. But it all starts in the home. And as fathers, we do have a responsibility, I feel like, and an obligation to be able to put these things into practice, but they don't happen accidentally. I think you have to be extremely intentional about what you choose to do. I remember as a young boy, I didn't like it, I'll be honest. <laughs> Every morning before school, you had to eat your breakfast. We did our daily devotions. There was, you know, a daily reading, prayer, you know, and, and as I grew older, I saw my mom, she would be praying. Even when I was a prodigal, she'd be reading her Bible when I stumbled in late at night, faithfully praying. Saw my father worship, saw him repent. You know, these things are crucial in, in terms of the greater picture, in terms of expanding the kingdom and just pushing things to the next level. You look at people throughout scripture that lived lives like this, and then one instance perhaps cost them getting to the promised land, such as Moses. You know, because he did what the Lord had not instructed him to do, he saw the promised land from afar, but he didn't enter into it. And if you look at the life of David, he had a desire to build the temple. But yet we know that God didn't allow him to build the temple. It was only his son that could do that. That was the person that God had appointed for that particular task. So if David had not lived a life of worship and repentance and obedience and love and generosity and all these other things that I haven't mentioned, this is not a comprehensive list, but I do feel as if they're very important. If David had not shown his son Solomon those, who knows if the temple would have been built. I know it would have been, but maybe he would have used somebody else. I want to be able to leave my, my children in a better position than I have today. Not with material things, not with worldly things, but with spiritual things that have meaning beyond this life.
I think that today being Father's Day is a perfect opportunity for us to stand up and say, I will not conform to the world. I will not compromise. If I make a mistake, I will own up to it. I will move forward. I will continue to think eternally. I will look at the world through a biblical worldview. I will think eternally because that is where I belong. I'm not, I do not belong on this earth. I'm an alien. I have a place in which I'm going, and that's what this life is preparing me for. But it doesn't happen by accident. I think it does start at home. So my encouragement to you today is that if you've come from a family, whether it be a broken home or maybe you've inherited some things, it could be fear, it could be addiction, it could be pride, it could be promiscuity, it could be a number of different things that it's always been part of your family's DNA. You can break those things. There's freedom in Christ. In the song, it says, there's a blessing for my son. But I think back to my great, great, great grandfather. He, he didn't live a life that looks like the life that I'm living today. But thankfully, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is coming back. And we have a huge responsibility to prepare the way for him. As Christians, we need to model these things that I talked about, faith and worship and obedience and repentance. Because the truth of the matter is that people are watching. Matthew chapter 5 talks about how we live our lives in such a way so that non-believers will see it and give glory to God. Let's set the standard a little bit higher. That's what God's called us to. Pastor. Have the worship team come out. I love you guys. Well, they're gone. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I just want to. I just want to say one other thing that I, I mentioned in the early service, uh, and some people afterwards said, "You better say that in second service." So I, I will. Um, I, I mentioned that I think the hardest job in the world is being a parent. Uh, I've also learned in 67 years the easiest job in the world is being a critic. Uh, any idiot can criticize. A- anybody can look and go, oh, I see what's wrong with that. I see what's wrong with there. And for almost all of us, uh, the person that's the easiest for us to criticize is our father. Uh, I mean, my dad was, <laughs> he was a good man, but I know what all his faults were. I knew, he knew how to push my buttons. I knew how to push his buttons. And we were button pushers. Uh, And that's the way it is for most of us. And probably the only person more critical of dad than his children is dad himself. Because it's so easy to look at our lives and go, man, where, you know. Why did this turn out that way? Why, how did I miss that? What? And, and some even just give up. Yeah, I think the line was somewhere in the darkness fell without a fight. Uh, and what I want to say today, because it relates back to what Barbie shared two weeks ago and I touched on it last week is if you want to live in freedom, there comes a time when you just have to go, 
I'm laying that down. I'm just not going to carry that anymore. Yeah. I, not only what my perceived failures about my dad were, but what my perceived failures about myself are. I just need to move on and walk in the freedom of the children of God. So I encourage you to do that today. Would, would those who are going to uh, pray with people come forward? Would you, would you stand if you, if you need to, to come and be prayed for today? Uh, the Lord is here. Grace is here. Mercy is here. Freedom is here. Uh, wisdom is here. Clarity. If you don't need to come worship with us for a few moments, create an atmosphere for others. Yeah. Healing's here too.